Welcome to Two Lit Mamas, a kid-lit podcast for parents, teachers, and writers. I'm Heather Kaufman-Peters. I'm the mother of one teenage boy. I'm a preschool teacher and a writer. And I'm Margie Ozimet. I'm mom to two boys, a former middle school teacher, a homeschooler, and a writer. Welcome to Two Lit Mamas, episode 27, and we're going to talk about my favorite subject, food. I mean cooking, but food, because <laughs> you get food to cook and you get it in the end. And these books were like full on food porn too. So good. So fun. Oh my God. I just, I, I literally gained weight <laughs> reading them, especially like this pie book. I was reading about pie and all I can think about is pie. So yeah, for this episode, we're looking at a hot topic in middle grade lit books that feature budding bakers and chefs. Um, I'll be telling you about Midsummer Mayhem by Rajani Laraka and A Place at the Table by Sadia Faruqi and Laura Chauvin. And I'll be giving you the down low on All You Need Is Love by our girl, Tanya Guerrero. And um, When Life Gives You Lemon, Make Peach Pie by Erin Soderbergh Downing. But... Before we dig in, what's cooking at your house? <laughs> See what I did there? What's cooking? <laughs> I was just thinking about how I have had no interest in cooking at all lately. Like, well, honestly, if I'm totally honest, it's probably been for the last couple of years. But did COVID burn you out? I don't know. Like, I enjoy baking. But yeah, you know, you can't bake a lot because we don't need... Not unless you want to waste 700 I know, pounds. Exactly. And I mean, like every time we get together with groups or something, I always make cookies because that's my favorite thing. And I love to make pie too. But uh, cooking, I just... Ugh. I don't know. I don't know if it's too like mathematical chemistry for me. Like I can't. I think that's why I love it. I know. It's so nerdy. I love it. <laughs> so, and I also like, you know, you read all these things about how you have to put love into your cooking. And so I was trying to kind of think. Like, <laughs> <laughs> I was trying to think about how much. I have no love to give, <laughs> damn it. Thinking about how much I love my guys while I was cooking and it still didn't help. So I was oh like. Oh my God. Okay. You put Barry White on on your podcast. <laughs> Over all like over your pot, your pods. Like, okay, this will work. I'm gonna put my love in this salad. Oh, that sounds gross. <laughs> I love it. I love it. <laughs> that is hilarious. I was trying to put the love in. Well, what are you making that's not working? I don't know. Just everything I try lately, and I like to try when I get really bored. I like to just try new recipes. Like I just find stuff online, and so that's probably a problem too because it's not like I'm making tried and true stuff that I know exactly how to make. I'm always trying new. Yeah, stuff. but that's how you get like you have to widen the palette. Yeah, you have to like get new things. Yeah. Well, you know, I used to be like on a cute, huge crock pot kick when I was like working at the kids magazines and yeah. my son was in school and my husband was traveling a lot. I would use the crock pot all the time. And I kind of miss doing that because I'm ho- we're all home now. So I feel like I don't need to do that because that used to be the thing. Oh, I do it yeah. even when we're home. Because that, well, that used to be the thing, I guess, just in my mind, that used to be the thing. Like I would rush around in the morning and throw everything in the crock pot and then you come home and it's like done. It's, it's all it's, done. Like, the best thing ever, but. Yeah. That's so funny. So I did look up a few crock pot recipes. Like one of them was hot chicken because my husband, you know, he goes down to Alabama a lot and he likes their hot chicken. Yeah. Um, and so I found a crock pot hot chicken recipe that I thought I would try, but my family will not eat crock pot. I know your family thinks it looks like baby barf or whatever. My husband refuses to eat <laughs> anything of certain shades that he might have once seen in a wastewater treatment. <laughs> Oh, God. That's a large palette yeah, of colors. That's true. Yes. Gross. He's nuts, but you know, yeah, they don't, everything's bushy. I can get by, there's like, like a French dip I can make. Mm-hmm. 
like a chicken cheesesteak version I can make. And that's pretty much where we max out. But I do milk that whenever I can. <laughs> I'll be like, oh, well, there's practice tonight. I have two different practices tonight. I got to get the kids here. It's going in the crock. Right. But um, it's so funny because my friend is visiting. One of my longtime dear friends is visiting with her soon to be husband from Mississippi. And I have done nothing for the past two days but cook because she said, she's like, oh, just wait. Oh, you're going to, you're going to get the best food, blah, 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 blah. Oh, blah. No. Like, Margie's such a good cook. <laughs> and, and I'm like, okay, well now you just called me out. Right. So of course I have to, you know, and unfortunately m- for much to my chagrin, I, I guess my husband, when he came home, my husband has been in Turkey for the, taking care of his mom, taking care of stuff with his mom for a couple of weeks. And he said to me, he's like, I have to tell you this and don't you ever tell my mother, but your Turkish food is better than oh. my mother's. And I was like, bam, right. the best. Right. I mean, like for not bad for a little Irish girl. I was like, really? He's like, yeah, yours is a lot better than my mom's. I like it. I like it much better. And I'm like, well, now, of course, I have to cook even more. So <laughs> He knows how to work you. <laughs> he does. He totally played me. But my older son is super interested in like learning how to cook all of the native dishes and everything. So he's upstairs making green beans as we speak. Aww. Well, I have to say that listeners, one of my very favorite things is Margie used to make me Turkish breakfast and it was the <laughs> best thing ever. And it's so simple, but I loved everything about it. It is. I just made it yesterday. Oh, we just had it yesterday. It's like all these tiny little things that you can put on your plate. It's the best. So I don't know. You can describe it. Yeah. Well, that's what my girlfriend that just came up yesterday. She's like, well, will you make me Turkish breakfast? <laughs> I was like, it's really anybody. I mean, it's, we just, in Turkey, you eat like olives and cucumbers and uh, with the baguette and, and um, just different like feta. And like, that's what you have for breakfast. So that's what my kids usually eat for breakfast, like olives and cucumbers and tomatoes and feta and a hard boiled egg or whatever and tea. And, you know, everybody loves it with lots of different jams and, you know, little hummus or something like that. It's but yeah, it, everyone loves it here. So yeah, it's the best. And watermelon in the summertime, you have to have a big side of watermelon. Ooh, that and- sounds lovely. Mm-hmm. Can I just tell you, I just discovered whipped feta. What Holy is this cow! It is the best thing ever. I follow this uh, food blogger. Um, now I can't even think of the name. Diva something. Anyway, uh, and she had whipped feta on there. And it's basically, and I've seen it made two ways now because I've researched more about it. But you take feta because it's kind of crumbly. So it's not as easy to spread on bread, right? Yeah. So you take feta and you mix it in like a food processor with a little bit of whipped cream cheese. Oh. And I also saw it where if you want it more savory, you can make it with uh, yogurt, like a Greek yogurt. Yeah. Um, But the whipped cream cheese, oh my gosh, I have a little tiny tub of it in my fridge right now. And sometimes I just take it out and eat it with a spoon. It is so good. That sounds fabulous. My husband would be all It is so good. And I'll just like make it on toast in the mornings. And it reminds me of Turkish breakfast. Like I'll have like a really good, like dark toast. And you're like, off it Like enjoy your meal. Oh, nice. Yeah, to myself. And then like she, in the recipe, she said like you could sprinkle a little honey on top of it, or which would be really good too. But funny thing about feta cheese, I love feta not as much as my husband and children who we literally go through the giant Costco size box of feta every week. And they, the kids like they eat it every morning and they, my husband eats it like three meals a day, I swear. But, um, we go through a ridiculous amount of feta when we, when I was pregnant in Turkey, 
they told me that no matter what, make sure you eat feta so many times a day. Really? Because of the calcium and everything else in it. My doctor was like, you had to eat feta at least two or three times a day. Wow. When I was pregnant in America, they were like, you can't have feta cheese. And I'm right, like, okay, soft cheese. this doesn't work. <laughs> like it's, it, but you, you see that older one that's like sitting there. Yeah. He was basically reared on a diet of feta and he's cool. So y'all need to get your worldwide expectations <laughs> for pregnant women because some of us do it in different countries and you're, your, your rules don't line up. That's interesting. It is interesting. We could talk about food forever. We could, yes. That's my fat girl rule and I'm fine with that. How long have you known me? And uh, eight years now and I've always been like on a diet, going on a diet, worried about being fat, whatever. Now like that's, can you hear that? <laughs> that's 50 knocking on my door and I'm just like fat and happy. Just call me the barefoot Contessa. Don't even, can't even, I can care about it for like a week. And then somebody brings out food and I'm like, well, I'm just going to stay fat now. I mean, 50s here. I don't even care. I'm pretty sure the pandemic ruined me. I never was a comfort eater my whole life. And then like the last year and maybe even the last couple of years when I stopped cooking, I guess I've just been yeah. like, bring on anything that's like fun or unique, like a new brings me joy, yeah, like a new <laughs> restaurant opens or a new like bake shop or a new whatever, like anything. It's just like so fun to try all this stuff that I didn't have to make. <laughs> I, think though, I have to say, I think people have like the one, that's one big thing that I do think we did a lot of people got from the pandemic is like, forget it. I'm just going to enjoy it. Right. Like I'm, if, it, if that's going to bring me enjoyment in life, that's what I'm going to do instead of, I, I have seen PS, you know, cause it's beach season now. We're not like Miami beach. We're hello, Cape Cod. And we're, you know, like we're buzzards Bay beaches <laughs> here in Massachusetts. So we're not obviously tan, <laughs> but I've seen more fat people on the beach than I've ever seen in swimsuits, in bikinis. And I'm like, hell to the, yeah. If that makes you happy, right. I feel like people are just sort of put aside any of those preconceived notions and stuff. And it's like, I'm, I'm just, I'm going to do me. It's kind of nice. Yeah. To just be happy. I love it. I think I find nothing more refreshing than a fat woman in a bikini wearing a proud. Yeah. Go girl. I will not because those parts of my body have never seen the sun <laughs> and the kind of burn that might happen could be like astronomical. <laughs> My midriff has not seen the sun since I was three. <laughs> I was just thinking about how my legs have hardly seen the sun. They're pretty white. I'm getting a little bit of that farmer like whiteness going on. I just told my husband the other day, I'm like, you know, there you hit that age where you're not supposed to wear shorts anymore. But I just want you to be aware that that's never coming for me. <laughs> I, I mean, I will be 90 and I'll be the woman in shorts because I really enjoy wearing shorts. <laughs> and he's like, oh, you got good legs. It's fine. Oh, sweet. <laughs> Good. All right. Just so we're aware that even when like my thigh is hanging over my knee and touching my calf, I'm still wearing shorts. You know, I also think the wonderful thing about husbands is for some somehow we're sort of blazoned in their mind what we looked like when they met us. Yes, and they do, God, they true. don't see it. I swear. I swear that's true. Because my husband all the time is like, you don't look any different. I don't get it. And, you know, here I am like 40 pounds heavier. But uh, a friend of mine one time, she said her husband turned to her. They'd been married like, you know, 13 years or something. And he was like, why don't you ever wear that red dress anymore? And she was like, you mean the one that, like when they were 
10 years younger and she, that I can't get yeah, my thigh she, in yeah, now. <laughs> she was like, she just thought it was so sweet that he even thought she could wear it. She was like, no way am I fitting. Yeah. That's even awesome. like an arm in that thing, but it was so cute. And I'm like, yeah, they just don't see you as any different. So that's all. But I have to say, I don't do that either. Yeah, that's true. I, ever so often I look like my husband brought a bunch of photos back from Turkey because his mother was moving and I look at him like, God, you were really hot. <laughs> and he's like, well, do I look different? I'm like, no, I still think you're hot. But now you kind of have that like, like bad that 50 something man yeah. hot. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, you were super hot. That's really, oh, I really bagged a good one, huh? Well, it's <laughs> so funny for me too. Cause like my husband, sometimes like when we're sitting outside, you can see a little bit of gray in his hair and it always surprises me. Like, why is that there? <laughs> yeah. Anyway, man, we are all over the place today. We are. All right. Should we get started? Yes. Let's get started. All right. How about you start us off with one of yours? I love me some Shakespeare. I, um, I, my um, Othello is my favorite PS and Macbeth, but I did love Midsummer. So, um, I'm hoping is this Midsummer Mayhem. Is it, is it, is it connected to Shakespeare? Oh, got a little old bard in it. Oh, it is in the most scrumptious way, which is a little Mm, nod to the start. I'm going to be fatter by the end of this episode. (laughs) PS go on. So Midsummer Mayhem by Rajani LaRocca came out in 2019 so I don't know if it was got seen much last year, but it is on a ton of lists and it won a bunch of awards and stuff. So it is a wonderful, imaginative, creative mashup of Midsummer Night's Dream and competitive baking. It is so fun. Who who comes up with this? This is brilliant. But like, oh my God, who thought of it, that? I can't even tell you because she, well, let me just tell you about the story because it's so brilliant. But okay, it revolves around this large, lovable Indian American family that live in Comity, Massachusetts. And the main character is 11-year-old Mimi Maxson, who is the youngest of four kids. And she feels pretty invisible in her family. Her older brother has the lead in the local play, which of course, by the way, is Midsummer Night dream so of course it gets you going on what the theme's going to be and her older sister is like this amazing dancer who's expecting to get into a famous dance school her other sister is a star soccer athlete all of them are popular in their town Uh, Mimi's parents are also successful her dad is a food critic who travels all over the United States her mom has her own company and since Mimi's best friend moved to Australia and this is the beginning of the summer and we know that her best friend has moved away so she's not in the story at all but Mimi talks about her so she's been feeling very lonely since then and kind of wondering how she fits into her popular talented family because she feels like they probably wouldn't even notice if she wasn't there so then this new bakery opens and comedy and the owner mrs t is holding a baking competition for kids and this is one area where mimi has an interest and she thinks she has some talent so the grand prize is a cooking class with her idol celebrity baker puffy fay and a summer internship at the bakery so mimi thinks if she can win she'll prove to her family that she belongs and she has like this super talent too like the rest of them um there's this forest on the edge of their town and And Mimi and her friend who moved to Australia used to hang out there a lot. So she kind of goes into the forest um, by herself thinking about her friend and stuff. And she makes a new friend in Vic. Was it Sasquatch? Yeah, it's a Sasquatch. (laughs) Mimi, don't go into the forest alone, girl. You shouldn't do that. Um, There's 
scary things in there. It might be a fairy though, but anyway. Oh, okay. Okay. So she makes this new friend, Vic, who's an Indian boy who tells her all these fun stories and shows her where to find the best like flowers and herbs for her special bakes because she always balances the sweet and the savory in everything she bakes, which is really cool. From then on, the story gets very magical and the and the most fun way. And it does hit a lot of the highlights of Shakespeare's play because as we all know, Shakespeare borrowed everything he wrote from somewhere. Wink, wink. Never, <laughs> never. See, it was just from Christopher Martin. <laughs> well, and this one is implying that he borrowed it from maybe this family. But so I really enjoyed the book so much. There were a lot of characters and storylines to keep track of. It seems like it isn't. Yeah. There's a lot going on. But it's just like Midsummer Night's Dream, though, because you have Oberon and Titania spat over the child. You have Puck, who's doing all these crazy magical antics. You have the young lovers. You have a play going on. Oh, cool. And so that is reflected in this story. Everything is in there except the wedding, of course, because this is middle grade. So there's right. no wedding at the end of this one. But there is a play at the end. So, And I just love the way uh, Reginie LaRocca, LaRocca picked up the thread of the Indian boy that Oberon and Titania are fighting about. So that is where the she brings in this story of this Indian American family. So, so, so cool. And uh, the ending is so satisfying. And I know that um, there is a lot to keep track of, but it's the, the ending does like the total British detective drama style where at the end they explain everything. Oh, I like that. I like, especially for kids. Yeah. I think that's really huge. And so it goes back. And cause I was like, oh, that whole chapter was just like someone explaining something something to someone else, but it was really satisfying because then like, if you were lost at all, you're like, Oh, 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 like it was all those moments where you're like, Oh, I get it. I get it. Um, and it's kind of fun to figure out who Puck is too. It's just so fun. Um, and everything is made clear in the end in a heartwarming and surprising way. And that might even involve a food fight. It's just so good. <laughs> Okay, so does she she talks a lot about the food she's making? Is it yes. inspiring for a kid that's into cooking? Oh, or? yes. And well, and this is all baking in this one. So yes, it is incredibly inspiring the way she mixes stuff and is very inventive. I mean, I think if if you were a middle schooler who was interested in baking, you would really feel inspired to just try whatever, you know, and see if it works out yeah. because some of the stuff she tries is good and some of it's not good. And so you kind of okay. get that fun experimental quality of cooking or of baking, which I thought was so fun. You know, I definitely think this is a very solid middle grade book. Like if you had a strong reader in grade three, they would enjoy it. And, a, you know, and then grade set up to seven and eight would probably enjoy, even though the main character is 11, I think they would enjoy it because all the cooking in it, I mean, all the recipes yeah. and the recipes are all at the end so fun oh good good mine didn't have that i kind of wish they would oh yeah both my books had recipes at the end so i was glad for that and this one even has like if you go to uh laraka's website she has like how to start a cooking competition and all kinds of fun stuff like that to go with it this would be a really great pairing from a teacher's perspective a lot of states still have that within there like their state standards that you have to you know you have to cover midsummer night's dream in seventh grade you have to cover you know certain things the miracle worker and I I mean right which is yeah so outdated but whatever but I do think that if you had to cover this and you had to go through midsummer night's dream I think it would be a really interesting and really progressive way to pay 
compare it with this book or to read this book and then be able to watch the actual play and then compare and contrast and look at it from a different perspective. Yeah. And this gives it all like puts it in a modern setting. So for kids who maybe are struggling with like the Shakespeare aspect of it, like it really lays it out in a clearer way and you, you can see what's happening. I definitely think it would be a great pairing. I kind of wish, I mean, I mean, this one had the girl main character and there is the boy in Vic. So it, you know, it has that too. Um, and then plus like it, it includes her whole family. So it's really, it's kind of girly, girly, but not really. Which that girly, girly thing is what we talked about is re- uh, this whole concept of all the cooking yeah. is awesome. Right. But there's no books about boys, right. and that's a problem. That's a really big problem because I have a 13-year-old who is obsessed with cooking. I would love to be able to hand him a book and be like, here, this you see yourself in this book. We get really hung up on this whole representation thing, but we seem to have forgotten that boys exist anymore. <laughs> yeah. This one was a little bit more balanced because of Vic, and he was really into cooking too. So that kind of helps with that part of it. The second book I read was like all girls. So that would definitely, I don't, I mean, I, but then again, I say that, and I had a boy who in middle school, some of his favorite books had girl men characters, and he didn't really even think about it. Yeah, but those were also girls with guns. Well, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, or girls on adventure. You know, there were adventure stories. Yeah. The one book that I read, definitely, I would say any a boy or a girl, either one would probably get behind it. The other one, probably the same. But this, what do you think? Would a boy read it? I think so. Would there be enough interest or is it going to feel too girly? Well, the thing about A Midsummer Night's Dream is it's all with fairies and all that kind of stuff anyway. So it but it's a boy heavy cast. Yeah. This one does have a lot of boys in it because they do play up the whole, you know, like the young lovers in a Midsummer Night's Dream that get all confused and fall in love with each other. So there is that component still in the story with her siblings and, you know, friends of theirs. So that's, I, I don't know. I, there are boys in it. And with Vic there, I think it's just such a fascinating story. And if, if you're reading A Midsummer Night's Dream, I think it's a great way for kids to really wrap their head around it easier. Yeah, that's what it is. And also, like. you know, with that said, she does have a second book that just came out this month in June 2021, and it's called Much Ado About Baseball. And that's also set in comedy, Massachusetts, around the same time this book is set. And it's about 12-year-olds Trish and Ben, again, a girl and a boy, and a math competition. So depending on what play you're doing, you know, I mean, there are there, yeah. that one might appeal a little bit more to boys just because it's about sports, I guess. But I don't know. That's being kind of, <gasps> I know that's being. That was very generous. Was very generous. I didn't mean it. Sorry, I'll cut that out. (laughs) (laughs) I think that publishers take note. You got to get more boy books out there. This is crap. I mean, yes, girls love to read books, but so do boys. Yeah, especially in middle school. My son, that was when he read the most books. Yeah. And there's a lot of male chefs out there. There's a lot of male bakers. Let's, I mean, do better. That's my (laughs) Do better. Boy moms unite and say, do better. Get me some books with boy characters. Because even like some of these newer uh, topics, because, you know, there are, a bazillion boy books out there because all through the 80s and 90s and early 2000s, everything had to have a boy character. So there are a lot of boy books, but these newer topics don't always have, right? you know, right. representation for boys like baking or cooking and, and some of the other ones we've talked about. So, yeah, 
I don't know. Overall, I guess the thing that, I mean, I just really was ready for this book after all the realistic fiction and nonfiction we've been oh reading. Oh my God, yes. <laughs> I was so happy to have this book and it just had a fun, like happy ending and it was just a little tasty treat. So I good. give it a thumbs up. Summer reading, like a good summer book club. Perfect summer book club story. Perfect, perfect, perfect. Like I could see this one for like, if you had a Girl Scout troop or something like that and you did a book club and then you could have like a little baking competition at the end. Oh, yeah. It would totally, that would totally be fun. Something like that would be great. Or even like, you know, like I was in 4-H and stuff like that. I don't know. I just think it would be a fun thing to tie in with a group because then you can have a little baking competition at the end. Or you could even do like a scene from A Midsummer Night's Dream or, you know, like if you had an acting group or something like that, it'd just be fun. So awesome. Anyway. Okay. So what about yours? I know we love Tanya Guerrera. Um, how to make friends with the sea. So, and we talked about that one in episode 19 and she became one of our Franzia list contestants. She's a Franzia girl. <laughs> she's yeah. a Franzia girl. She is. She's just too far away to stop. Know, That's the problem. Unfortunately. So this is her second book. What do we think? Do we still love her? We do. Okay. We do. We still love you, Tanya. We still are hundred percent. We're still huge fan girls. Dare I say, I might even like this one better. <gasps> really? Than the I, yeah, yeah, I do. I think I like this one better. Um, but someday, Tanya, when you open your front door, do not be surprised to see <laughs> the two of us sitting there with a box of Franzia waiting you for on. you to clap you, clap you on your way. You go, girl. Here, Rosé all day. Yes, this book, I really, really liked it. And I am also going to coin a new term. Oh. So let it be said. Mark it down. Press record twice. I think that this book falls into a new category that is needed that is lower YA, which is a step between upper middle grade and YA because YA can get heavy. Yeah, because I uh, when I saw you had added that in, that reminds me of the story A Lots Away that we talked about yes. because that one had older kids in it, but yet the story itself was more kind of a middle grade-ish. Yeah, and this was the opposite. Okay. The character's middle grade-ish. But the story is a little more intense. And I think that it's a little, it's a little bit more intense. It's a necessary story. It's a great story. It's a, but I think that if someone's looking for a a, a very stereotypical middle of the road, follows all tropes, middle grade read, this is going to be a little above that. Okay. So eighth, ninth graders, is that what you're thinking? Definitely. Yeah. And our main character is 12 and that's, Alba, you know, she's, she's young. She doesn't seem young in the book. She seems more like a teenager. Okay. She doesn't seem like the typical American uh, 12 year old okay. that so many of us know. I mean, yes, she did grow up in New York, but, and I know many 12 year olds that have also grown up in New York and she still seems a little bit old for that, which is totally cool. I, I just think that it reads a little bit older. She reads a little bit older. So Alba is our main character and she identifies as a girl, but she likes to to wear her hair short. She goes to the, likes to go to the barber. She likes to wear t-shirts and jeans. And she's, you know, her parents are not impressed by this. Her parents always kind of, she feels like she's a disappointment to her parents because she's not girly and she's not posh like they are. Her parents are very posh New Yorkers. Her father, I don't know if he's an attorney or something. And her mother is sort of a um, high class broad, shall we say. <laughs> um, <laughs> Uptown girl. <laughs> so, right. So at the very beginning of the book, her mother is putting Alba, Alba on a plane to go to see her um, estranged grandmother and live with her estranged grandmother and 
Barcelona, which I believe you're say Barcelona, but we're going to say Barcelona. Um, they don't really tell her why. And Alba is pretty sure that it's because they don't love her anymore and that her mother doesn't want oh, her Oh, that's so sad. And so we start that right. So that's what I'm saying. It's heavy. We start there. There's a lot of trigger warning in there for some kids that have issues going on. Um, she goes to stay with Abuela Lola, who is fabulous. I love her. She's this really epic grandmother and um, who's very understanding and excited to have to sort of build this relationship with the granddaughter that she's only probably seen once or twice. The one thing that's kind of, again, another, like another trigger is Alba has this thing that when she gets overwhelmed, she runs. And, you know, that's something that is a very real issue for some kids. It's also a really unsafe issue. And I think a lot of parents would be like, Oh, that's another, you know, like that's another trigger warning, you know, I don't believe in trigger warnings, but um, just something to be aware of that she does run. The first place she happens to run to is she gets found by this guy in an alley. And this very nice man happens to be Tony, the bread baker, who was her mother's childhood best friend. So it's a good combination. And he kind of takes her in and they have a really wonderful bond. The Tony and the, the bread maker, he teaches her how to make bread. And she really kind of loves being there. She's, she's always like going out in the middle of the night to go meet him and make bread. Her grandmother is aware of this, but again, it was kind of one of those weird things where I'm like, mm. yeah. Um, so again, that's another part where it reads older as well. Of course, we talk about this a lot though too, how middle grade stories have a lot of these sort of fantasy elements to them of what kids yeah. like their fantasy would be like, oh, I'll get up in the middle of the night and go work. You know, like that would be like a fantasy for and a kid. just be able to kind of roam the streets free. Yeah, but they can kind of live uh, vicariously through the stories in these books without actually putting themselves in harm. So yeah. Yeah. I, and then I realized that Spain is much different than Turkey but um, yeah, kids are not allowed out on the streets by themselves at night yeah. in Turkey because it's very dangerous. Yeah. Know? And it is dangerous. So anyway, there's that. Um, so then there's also this fabulous gay couple that are her grandmother's best friends. And one of them used to be a costume designer. Hello, <laughs> you know, my girl. Um, and they go shopping with her and they really, they, they love her. Another, get this, you're going to love this. Her mother was a big fan. Alba's mother was a big fan of, David Bowie. So she's always singing Z Ziggy Stardust. There's so many David Bowie references in here. And that was just like when we read um, Planet Earth is Blue by Nicole Pantelikos. And there were all of those every five minutes, there was like lyrics from a David Bowie song. I had to listen to David Bowie for six weeks. Well, here we go again. <laughs> uh, I had to, I've got David Bowie back on again. So that was really fun. But the the, the gay couple that are her grandmother's friends take her shopping and they really are supportive of her. It's it's interesting because she's not it's not that she's non-binary. Because she does say, like, the grandmother asks her flat out, how do you identify? And she says, "I, you know, what are your pronouns? She said, it's a she. But she's also got, like, this kind of little love interest on the side. But she's also not sure that she has this love interest or how she feels about him. But he's also sort of non-binary. So it's kind of interesting. I think there's so many kids that would be like, I totally get this. Mm -hmm. I see myself in this. I see myself that I'm not a boy, not a girl. But I'm not ready to say I'm in the they column yet. But maybe I'm not sure that I like boys. But I'm not sure. So I think it's really interesting. It's a really well done. It's so super, super subtle that if you weren't living in those questions, you probably wouldn't even catch it. Not that I'm living in those <laughs> questions. <laughs> well, you're looking for them because we talk about right, it. Right, 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 right. But um, so I think it's that it, I, piece works works out so well. It's done really, really well in the book. But of course, that's why we fangirl for Tanya Guerrero. So all of these issues we start to learn, and I'm going to give a spoiler alert. So if you're going to read it, just hit fast forward, hit the 30 second button. 
everything sort of makes more sense when we learn that Alba's father is actually a horrible alcoholic abuser. And he's been beating, he only beat Alba once, but he's been beating her mother for the long haul. And we know this when her mother shows up at her abuela's house to live forever and says, I finally escaped. Wow. So she put Alba on the plane, not because they didn't love her. And she wouldn't, because she also wouldn't talk to her on the phone or anything because she was trying to chart her escape and she wanted Alba to be there when she finally got free. Mm. So she kind of sent her ahead. Yeah. I got chill bumps talking about it. Wow. Um, it was really, and that's why I'm saying it's a, it's heavy. Yeah. It's a very heavy book. It's a very heavy concept to think about. Like this child is learning that there's a lot of references to seeing her mother's bruises, seeing it's why her mother always wore scarf, seeing her mother get beaten and, mm-hmm. and then, you know, cleaning and being so controllish over everything about appearances, because that was the one thing she could control. Mm-hmm. So that's why it's, I would say also, it would be better for an older kid. Mm-hmm. Definitely a seventh and eighth graders tackle some of those topics. For sure. Not, I would say seventh, eighth, ninth, tenth would be perfect. Yeah. Seventh to 10th graders, would it would be perfect for any of anybody in there. Because it's really cool. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's a great story. It makes you want bread all the time. <laughs> and I have to also say, I was super impressed because one of Alba's big thing is that she's complaining that none of these, that these bakeries don't cater to everyone and they don't have gluten-free bread. Oh. And I was like, ching, ching, yes. From a mom who has had a kid who has struggled with gluten and yeast from the time he was two. Yes, yeah. that's a real, that's a real thing. So um, it would, that was a nice little bit of inclusivity, but I really liked it. It's a great book. It, it is a really, again, it, it's a fast read. It's a, it's a heavy read though. You don't feel, it's funny because I read this one and then I read the second one. Um, when life gives you lemons, make peach pie. The, that one's a very much a middle grade book. This one, I was more engaged in it because I felt like it read like an adult. Book. Okay. It read like a kind of like a cozy mystery where, you know, it's not super heavy language, but it's super heavy themes and mm-hmm. stuff like that. And I, it, it just reads like a more thorough book that an adult would enjoy. So I feel like that's probably, it's just more enjoyable. It was just more enjoyable. Not that there's anything wrong with the other book, but it, the other book definitely read like a children's right. book. This doesn't. Well, I mean, we've been reading some middle grade books lately that are like inventive and in how they're written and tackle some really tough topics. So middle schoolers are dealing with a lot of tough stuff. You know, if this could help somebody, then like the perfect example, like here's a perfect way to explain it. Like if this is a book, like this book is like watching something on Discovery Plus, perhaps my favorite channel, <laughs> my new favorite channel, like watching something on an adult channel right. versus watching something on the Disney channel. So you're sitting like the other, cause we have a dead mother in the other book and everything, but it's just handled more lightly, more delicately than this is more like, this is more realistic, you know, mm-hmm. like this, the, all you need is love is a little more realistic and the way that people would talk. Here's my big thing. Here's the, here's the kicker. So I'm list, looking at like, what are people saying? And overall it's gotten pretty good reviews, but can we talk about the penis? There's penis in this. So one? there is, this is ridiculous. I don't care. You know, you know me, all we ever, I live in a house full of boys, the word penis and everything looks like a penis is that's everywhere we ever go. Right. So all these, let's just call them Karens are all up in arms because there's at one point so she's out with the gay couple and they, he, they, she looks at this building and they giggle and he's like, just can say it. You can say it. It looks like a penis. <laughs> and that's it. that's it. We move on. She There's giggles. not a real penis. There's nothing. No. Hello. 25 years. I taught middle school. Do you know how many things look like a penis that kids giggle about? <laughs> 
everything, <laughs> everything. This is a joke that every kid is going to make. Any kid reading this book would be like, <laughs> and it would, they would move on. These women were all up in arms because this joke was made in the Oh book. my goodness. That's it. I was like, please, are you kidding me? In Europe, everything's totally different too when it comes to kids. Everything's catered to adults. Like in the United States, a lot more things are catered to children in public spaces. And they'll specifically say like, this is not a child event or whatever if you don't want kids there. But like in Europe, everything's just sort of more adult in general. And so, and I think that that would appeal to middle school kids anyway, because they want to be treated more like adults. And um, for an adult to make that kind of a joke would make any middle schooler laugh, like you're saying. Right. And I think that that's why I like the book so much because it does have a much more European flavor. The same thing is true in Turkey. They're like you're not like we're. It's not all about you. You're just as a kid. The world is not about you. You're along for the ride, mm-hmm. and you're you know like you're you're just coming with us and you're doing everything. It was like my old adage when I came back to America with my little nugget in tow, the first nugget, and people were telling me about something called baby led weaning. They were all like, "This is insane. How it's this? It's this edgy thing, baby led weaning." And I'm like what is this? And they were like, oh, it's this whole process of feeding babies regular table food. And I'm like, you know that the other parts of the world just do that, right? <laughs> like, that's it. Like, that's how there is no Gerber right, in, right. <laughs> in Turkey. There's no baby food. You just do this. So it's this, it is this sort of thing that, you know, like they're just small people and you're bringing them along. They're not a whole marketing device like in America where you're catering everything and dumbing it down for kids. Mm-hmm. So, um, and that's, that's it. That's how this book is. Just like the penis conversation. She has a glass of wine because they let her have a glass of wine because it's in Barcelona. So it's a different concept. Mm-hmm. And I think that I personally think that the people that get up in arms about it probably haven't left America. Yeah. <laughs> so anyway, we still love you, Tanya. We love you. We're coming for you, girl. <laughs> As my mother said, when she left last week after her two week visit, she said, I never hear the word penis as much in my life as I do when I'm at your house. And I'm like, well, thank you. (laughs) We have a lot of penises in my house. So there you go. I had a good friend of mine when this is way before we got married and had kids and everything. She's like, I can't wait to have kids because then you you get to talk about all this fun stuff like poop and pee and all this stuff all the time. And it's just hilarious. And I'm like, yeah, I guess it's true. Farts are always funny. Oh my gosh, that was good. That was All You Need Is Love by Tanya Guerrero. And it just came out two months ago. Hot off the presses. It's need as in K-N-E-A-D. K-N-E-A-D. And it's adorable cover. It's got a really cute cover, which matches the cover of the last book as well. And it's everywhere. You can see it's getting a lot of press. Good for you, girl. I hope it pans out for you, Tanya. All right. So what's your second book? Okay. My second book is Back to Realistic Fiction. I know. I know. But it was okay. Um, It's a novel called A Place at the Table. It came out in August of 2020. It was written by two authors. Sadia Faruqi and Lauren Chauvin. And in our last episode, we read books about first gen immigrants. This story is more about second gen Americans, like the parents or the children of the immigrants. And so, and they're, which I think is so cool because those are two completely different experiences. So kind of like your kids, Margie, who have their own struggles with not really fitting into either culture completely and also there's that added component of having a crazy immigrant parent. Well, having crazy immigrant <laughs> parent, but also like there's this thing where they're supposed to only be grateful 
for the sacrifices their parents made in moving here <laughs> for a better life in America, you know, at, which for one of the families in this book, that was very clear because they moved here from Pakistan. But anyway, so the book is centered around two girls. So the chapters alternate between the two main characters. You have sixth grader Sarah a Pakistani-American, and sixth grader Elizabeth, who's a white girl with a British mother and a Jewish-American father. So the two girls are very, very different and have very different experiences, you know, living in, in the States. Sarah is new at the middle school, which is huge compared to the small Islamic school she used to attend. She had transferred from there. And then Elizabeth has her own problems because her British mother has been struggling with depression since her own mother died back in England. And her mom's kind of checked out. She's not cooking. She's not doing laundry. She's not cleaning. She's not working, et cetera. And then plus Elizabeth is like really into her Jewish religion, which comes from her father's side, but feels kind of disconnected from it because she can only attend when her dad is in town, but he's been traveling more and more for work because, you know, the mom's not working. So he's had to pick up the slack. Plus, I think he just wants to get out of yeah, there. It's a sad place to be. Right. And so he doesn't want to be there either. And so that's been causing a lot of problems for Elizabeth, too, because she's missing him and she's sad about her mom and all that worried about her mom. So these two girls meet in an after school South Asian cooking class, which Elizabeth takes it because she, you know, her mom has stopped cooking. So she's hoping to kind of help out and pick up the slack by cooking dinner. And she has an older brother and a younger brother. And then Sarah, has to go. She's basically being forced to go because she doesn't really like cooking at all. But her mom is the one teaching the class. Uh. And her mom is is signed up to teach this class to kind of help out with the family because she has a catering business that's kind of off to a shaky start. And so she's doing this to make some more money. So there's that sort of component where family yeah. money is sort of on the line too. The girls like each other, but they're really on shaky ground because first of all, Sarah really has her walls up because she is, you know, she's heard racist comments and things like that. And so she's just trying to protect herself and keeps her head down and hasn't really made any friends and is just trying to get through. And Elizabeth likes her and kind of gets her, but she also has missteps in the things she says to her. Like at one, um, Elizabeth's super into Halloween and she's really into Doctor Who. That's something she and her mom share, mm. which I love that. Me too, girl. I me know. too. And I love that part. But um, I think it's funny how I didn't set out to find a British story, but somehow it's there. I know it comes to me. I know. Right. And so anyway, but of course, Sarah's family doesn't celebrate Halloween because it's basically, they see it as being against their religion. Elizabeth, as one of the first things reaching out to her, asks her to go trick-or-treating with her. And then that just becomes like a whole ugly thing (laughs) because Sarah feels like a little bit under attack, like she doesn't want to have to explain why. And then also she's feeling like it's bothersome to her that she can't celebrate Halloween and all this stuff. So, but eventually the girls kind of get it together after a while, especially when they find out about this cooking competition. There's an international fair that's going to be happening and uh, the local like TV chef is going to be judging and you can win a spot on TV if you win the competition. And so Sarah really wants to win to ha- so she can promote her mom's catering business on TV. Right. And, and Elizabeth really wants to win because she just thinks it's so fun. She loves cooking. That's her passion. So they try to create this uh, cross-cultural dish together, like an English-Pakistani um, mashup 
up to win the competition. So um, they make really great cooking partners, but they're still like kind of struggle to trust each other. And then things kind of go wrong with the cooking competition too. But you know, wah wah wah, all that. Um, but it's it's a really interesting story. I love how it goes back and forth between both perspectives. Um, there's so much packed into this book from immigrant life, religious practices, middle school struggles, depression, parent issues, American citizenship, racism, culture representation. I mean, there's just like tons of interesting, like really serious topics, but yet it's all like, again, like you're saying in this sort of light framework of a middle grade story. So it doesn't feel so heavy. Yeah. There's something about having like the cooking element in there that sort of lightens a lot of the right makes it more accessible yeah midsummer mayhem was kind of the same thing because that girl was dealing with some family issues too but you know with the baking thrown in i just made it fun and this is the same thing with this it's, it's fun yeah so i think it's i would highly recommend this book it is more girly so I, you know but but you know whoever if you have a kid who's really into cooking i think they would really enjoy it because there's a ton of wonderful Pakistani cooking recipes. And yes, the recipes are in the back. And also just like the them making them, like, because it's a cooking class. So you're getting you're getting like a cooking class with the story because the mom is up there explaining how to make different things and what the foods are and how you do it. And I mean, it's not in super great detail in the in the book, but um it's fun to think about. And and also she takes the kids very seriously and lets them cook like some really challenging dishes, which I thought was really cool too. I thought that was very fun. It's just such a very honest book with very real families and characters. Like they're all flawed. Yeah. They're not all perfect. They're not all terrible. All the families are interesting in their imperfections and their love really kind of shines through. The one reason I was really getting kind of tired of realistic fiction is the trope of the bully because that is so very middle grade. And this book does have a bully, but the character is so much more complicated and the relationship takes like this interesting twist. And I just think that it was handled way more realistically than it is sometimes in middle grade books. And honestly, very honest too. And just like so many things about being an immigrant and how to handle that in public and things like that too, are just sort of subtly written into the this book. And then bonus, A Place at the Table has a fantastic Jewish grandmother, a bubby. Bubby. Has a bubby in it. And she's wonderful, what? exactly like what you would want, like bright colors, artistic necklaces, spiky hair. Like I just love her. So she was fun. And she kind of comes in towards the end and, and helps Elizabeth, that's Elizabeth's grandmother, through some of the difficulty she's dealing with. So that was cool too. Because Sarah really comes from a very stable family. They're just dealing with more of the immigrant issues. And and then both mothers are getting their American citizenship. So they uh. kind of bring their moms together that way too. And both their moms are kind of struggling with loneliness too. So that was that's a cool part of the story too. So I was just did a side goog while you were there because I kept saying like, why do I know this? Why do I know this? Why do I know this title? This is actually the same title of a really, it was a really hot movie from 2013 about hunger. So that's the, A Place at the Table was the name of that as well. So when you are looking for this online, don't get confused. Yeah, you have to put A Place at the Table book 
and then it'll come up right away. This morning when I was Googling it just to look up some stuff, I, I kept getting that documentary I was like, or that movie. I, I think it's a fun book and it ha- again has like recipes uh, and it, it goes through and explains like what all the dishes are because a lot of the Pakistani dishes are not things a lot of kids are familiar with. So it goes through yeah. and kind of gives a definition of each of them, which was cool. cool. Uh, how about your second book? What you got? Well, okay. So this is the first in a series of two books so far called The Great Peach Experiment. And book one is called When Life Gives You Lemons, Make Peach Pie by Aaron Soderbergh Downing. The second one, I believe, is called The Peach Pit. Cute. The reason is because the the family in the book, their last name is Peach. Oh, cute. So that's why it's The Great Peach Experiment. This is a family. There's a daughter, Lucy. She's our main character. Again, a girl. (laughs) And then she has two little brothers. Their mother died of cancer and their father is um, basically absent. He's a scientist who spends all of his time in the lab to try to avoid the reality. So Lucy's basically raising her brothers and she's basically in charge of the whole family. So this came out just in April of 2021 and the mother has died of cancer, but she was a scientist as well and an inventor. And one of the inventions that she made before her death had uh, sold and they were like solar charging window clings and the family came into a million dollars. Wow! So the father comes home one day and he has bought a food truck and he decides that they are going to go uh, across the Midwest. They're from Duluth, Minnesota, which is also where the writer is from. And they're going to travel all over the Midwest selling pie or selling whatever. They hadn't decided at that point. They finally end up at a food competition in Ohio. They have to figure out what to sell. None of them know how to cook. This is kind of like an entrepreneurial thing too. Yeah, that's cool. It is, but it's also like, this is such a hot mess father. Like, (laughs) I'm just going to do what I think I can do. I don't know. He was a disaster and very unlikable PS. So what the family decides finally that there's an aunt that made a peach pie and he was able to make it successfully. So they decide that they're going to sell pie, which I... I had a problem with that because I think personally of all the things that you bake, I, pies are hard. Okay. I get it. You can't make a peach cake, but whatevs. But um, for the family to know nothing and then suddenly find great success selling pies, I'm like, girl, you ever made a pie? Anyway, d- dad decides that they're going to make pies. They're going to travel all over. They're going to go. It's going to, they're going to camp along the way. It's going to be this great outing. The family's pretty excited because he's been pretty absent. He just sort of checked out after mom died and has been at, at the university where he works. And then he finds confesses to his daughter Lucy that he's been forced into taking a sabbatical because things aren't going well at work either. So this is all because of the sabbatical. So it's really not his choice to spend time with his children. It's because he has to do something. So he thought maybe what they should do is one of the things that their mother always dreamed of was having the whole family go on a trip in a food truck and run a food truck together. Uh, P.S. I think mom was the one who could make this. But anyway, <laughs> uh, it's a solid lower middle grade book. I think this is an interesting concept, too, because a lot of people and myself included honor people who've died by making their recipes or by making something that reminds them, uh, reminds you of the person who you've lost. So anyway, I think that's kind of a cool concept in and of itself that they're doing this because she wanted to do it. Yeah. It's a great book for a grieving kid because it really 
they're it's like Lucy and the brothers. You really do see them grieving and they really do have a good understanding of what's going on and why they are so upset and why, why they are grieving. It's a good book. It's not a book that I was like life changing. I, I didn't love it as much as I loved the other one. I, I think that I would love to see an older brother in charge instead of just replacing the mother. Mm. It would be kind of interesting to see what happened if those gender roles were reversed and the middle brother was the one that was in charge and not the oldest sister, because that's a that's a kind of an easy, that's an easy end to just kill a parent and let the older sibling take over the gender role of that parent. You know right. what I mean? I think it's an interesting concept. I think it's an interesting book. It wasn't something that I, you know, was earth shaking or earth shattering, but it was a good book. It made me want pie really, really bad. <laughs> and I really wanted pie throughout it. And then they started making, like last night I'm re- finishing the book up and I'm like, for God's sakes, now you started making key lime pie. Now I want key lime pie. It's 11 <laughs> o'clock at night and I want key lime pie so bad. Because it's selling out all over. Everybody wants the key lime pie and everybody comes up and they're like, oh, can I get the key lime pie? I'm like, me too, girl. Me too. Where is it? So um, that was my second one. It's a quick read. It's a short book. It's like, what is it? It's like 252 pages, mm-hmm. but it's pretty quick. The thing is, there's no recipes too. Aww. I feel like that was a missed opportunity. Yeah. The other one could have had some opportunities for, for recipes in that, but on Instagram, a lot of times Tanya Guerrero will share the talk about what she's doing with the breads mm-hmm. or, you know, she's baking the breads. Uh-huh. This one, I feel like, okay, the whole thing premise is based on this aunt's peach pie. Um, give us a recipe. Just call it Aunt Becky's peach pie or whatever. Put it at the end and let, let us have that sort of follow through. One thing I loved about this is it has these very, very primitive drawings between every chapter and sometimes stuck in the chapter. And it was like how to spend a million dollars. And the one brother, the middle brother is always sketching and he doesn't have the academic smarts as the other brothers. So he's like, this is a cute one of all the people's facial hair that was at the like little smiley faces with facial hair. And that's all the beards that he saw at the music fest that day. And they're just these really cool, fun, primitive drawings that look exactly like they're made by a kid. And they don't always have anything to do with the chapter they're just sort of like his doodles and drawings and it was really fun i love that part but yeah that was my that was my second one and that's um the great peach experiment book number one when life gives you lemons make peach pie which is what their mother always used to say the title of the book is because what their mother always used to say when life gives you lemons make iced tea because lemonade was too sweet for her so that's where it kind of came from oh i would say that i like that saying that's adorable okay now we're going to take a quick break and when we come back we're going to share our own kid inspired recipes All right, Heather, you first. You and I both love to cook. Well, apparently you don't like so anymore. But, um, <laughs> I used to. <laughs> and what's something quick and easy you always made for your bouncing baby boy that he will now never need you to make because he's almost a man? Oh, I, I know. My son, since he was little, has loved cooking. Same with my boys. That's why I'm saying we need boy characters. I, know. I think that cooking is an incredibly awesome, fun, educational activity that you can do with your children at any age. Oh my God. It's math. It's science. It's reading. It's every aspect of education rolled into Yeah. And then on top of it, it's fun and it's time you're spent together and it doesn't have to be like this overt, like learning educational experience. It's just a fun thing to do. Like from the time my child was 
three until now, he he and I still cook. You can do yeah. it at any age. So, okay. One of my very, very favorite stories about my bouncing baby boy, when he was three years old, I woke up one morning and I could hear him downstairs already, which was kind of unusual because he usually would come into my room first or our room first. And then, so I go downstairs and he has pushed a chair, a dining room chair up to the counter. He's pulled the toaster towards him and he's popping a piece of bread in the toaster and he looks up at me and he goes, mama, I'm making you toast. It was like the most precious thing ever. And then he got to be a little bit older, like seven or eight. And he was really into like experimenting with stuff. He would just take things out of the fridge and like make random concoctions. And then I would have to taste that, taste test them and tell him what I thought, which was so fun. And then he got into making omelets. Mine's in the omelet phase right now too. I'm not a fan of eggs. So this is killing me. Yeah, I ate a lot of that phase. Like that was probably like 10-ish, maybe 10, 11. And then when he got into high school, especially once he started homeschooling last year, especially, I was like, okay, like once a month, we're going to pick a recipe and we're going to make it together. One of the ones we tried was to make homemade pasta. And I was like, okay, anything that requires the skill of a little old lady that grew up in an ancient village somewhere is just probably a little bit beyond us. Because I was nice. like, I think we need more practice with that one. But he and he didn't enjoy that one too much. So anyway, I was going to share some recipe. Like the first thing we did when he was little, still in preschool, even we made soft pretzels. Yeah. The first time we made it, I think it was like, I thought it'd be fun, like Father's Day thing. So we made it. And then after that, we used to make them like to make shapes, to practice making letters. letters. Oh yeah. my gosh, it was so much fun. And it's super easy. You just need one and a half cups warm water, a packet of yeast, a teaspoon of salt, tablespoon of sugar, a tablespoon of melted butter, and you're going to put your water and your yeast together, let it bloom a little bit, and then add in the salt, sugar, butter, and then you're going to put in the flour. It's usually about up to four cups maybe. And and then just knead it. And then you pull off pieces and you roll in long ropes, just like a Play-Doh experiment. You know, it's like, it's so fun. And then you can shape it however you want. Now you can like the typical recipes say to boil it in a little bit of baked is it baking soda? Yeah. And water. And water. Yeah. First and then bake it. But you can also skip, like if you're dealing with little, little kids, you can kind of skip that process because like when we were making letters, we would just shape them on the baking sheet and then just bake them. Yeah. We can- bake them. We did that too. Brush them with an egg. You can brush them with an egg yolk and that'll give you the same color, the golden brown. Yeah. They're just not as chewy. Yeah. They're just not as chewy, but they're like great for like breaking off and like putting in a dip. You can make fun dips with it. Mm, anyway. That sounds yummy. Stop I know. Now I'm getting hungry too. Okay. <laughs> and then like uh, one of the last things we made together was baked Alaska. That's so funny. <laughs> I made that in home ec in high school. That's such an it's such a like a 70s yeah. thing, you know, it was like such a 60s or 70s kind of treat. Again, I think we made it for my husband because he loves baked Alaska. And yeah, you used to be able to find it in like fancy restaurants, like in the 80s or something. And now yep. you can't really find it anywhere unless you go to like an old steakhouse or something. But um, it was so fun to make. And it's I mean, it takes time, but it's not really hard. It looks hard, but it's not. And so you just take three different kinds of ice creams and you line like a bowl with saran wrap and you just start scooping in scoops of your three different ice creams in like a random order. So it makes like a really pretty pattern. And then you squish it down to get all the spaces out. And then you freeze that, you know, usually probably freezing overnight's best, but just so it's nice and solid. 
And then you pack the top of it with some um, pound cake, whatever. You could probably do brownies. I don't know. Oh, God, that would be fabulous. Any kind of cake, you know, you can just you put that on top of it and let that freeze for a while. Press it really hard in there. And then um, and then you make your meringue, which meringue is super fun to make. You just make it in a mixer. I love making meringue. I know. It's like yeah. egg whites and sugar. And cream of tartar. Yeah. It's so fun to make. And it's not hard. You just keep whipping it until it looks fluffy and and peaky, you know, and then you um, flip your ice cream out of your bowl and peel the saran off. And then you put the meringue on top of it and you make it like with a spoon. So it's got like the little peaks and valleys and everything. Mm -hmm. And then you bake it till the meringue gets brown. And that's it. And if you're like really fancy, you can use like the little blowtorch, which I wasn't going to let my teenage son have a blowtorch. No, I would, I would say that's not best. That's not kid friendly. <laughs> not too kid friendly. So we just put it in the oven and it worked just fine. And it is so fun. He was so proud of himself because it looks like really crazy fancy and difficult to make, you know? Well, they're good. And it's they're so good. Too. And you can make individual ones too if you have smaller bowls. You know, like we use like a big um, metal bowl, but you can use smaller bowls and make it that way too and have individual ones. That's awesome. And then the last thing I was trying to think, so my grandmother um, gave me a handwritten recipe book, you know, that has tons of recipes in it. I make her cookies and stuff from there all the time, um, which is nice. And whenever I start missing her, like I'll pull that out and just make something from it. And it makes me feel a lot better. But um, one of the things that I used to do, like when my son was little, is we would make fruit sauces because you can just make them on the stove, like applesauce or pear sauce or peach sauce. And that's sort of a throwback to like when my grandparents were kids, because that used to be a way to preserve fruit and they always made sauces out of them. And then they would use it to like put over ice cream or something like that in the winter or just toast or whatever, or just eat it straight up. I would just use it to put in my belly. Yeah, <laughs> eat it straight up. Yeah. My grandma used to make the best like tart applesauce. Oh, so good. And it's best like when it was frozen, you could just like scrape the tart applesauce off. But anyway, I think that's kind of a fun one because you can do that with kids at any age too. Because like when they're little, if you give them one of those plastic serrated knives, if you take the fruit and slice it and then let them cut it up into chunks with that. Yeah, that's what my nugget did for years. So we do the preschool, just let them cut up apples. I mean, they think it's so fun and it's great. Fine motor skills. It's so fun. But also like if when they get older, then you can start experimenting with stuff. I was thinking about how in Midsummer Mayhem, she always used like savory and sweet. And I thought, ooh, that would be fun to like experiment with spices that you would put into a fruit sauce. Like yeah. you've got cardamom, cinnamon, nutmeg. You could even experiment with like some savory stuff or lavender or just, I don't know, rose water. I don't know. It'd be kind of fun. Oh my God. Rose water is so big in turkey yeah. and it tastes like old ladies. <laughs> but if your kids were like, you know, seven to 12 or whatever, they probably would think that was fun just trying different things. And it's not that big of a waste if you just take a couple of pieces of fruit, cut them up, put it on the stove, put some sugar in and then add whatever. Or use frozen fruit too. It's way Oh cheaper. yeah, that's a good point. We do that like when the boys make hand pies, we do frozen fruit because it's cheaper. It also makes me think of fruit soup, which is a total like Swedish thing. It's a cold soup made from stone fruits and stuff. <laughs> so I used to have that when I was a kid too. I haven't served that to my family, but the closest we come is you just should. fruit sauces. <laughs> I know I should. It's it's, dr- it's really good. Yeah. Anyway, okay, you Margie, tell me you're the you're the big chef, so you tell me what you do. Uh, well, we're a mess, as we know. <laughs> My older son, like, he's like, I think we should start a food blog, oh. and we should just make Turkish food. And I'm like, ooh, I like that because when we 
were in Turkey, he was, that was his favorite thing to do was to cook with me. He was an epic hummus maker at the age of one. Just, he was there with me all the time. And the little one too, I would just tie him on in the sling and he would just cook with me. So my kids are still really confident in the kitchen because they've always been in the kitchen. Cause I just, I love to cook for me. That is my love. That's my love to you. I, I'm, I'm going to show you my love by feeding you. I'm like an old Jewish grandmother. That's just the way I was. That's the way I am. I, I find a lot of relaxation in cooking. This year, my, one of my kids' favorite things is yaprak dolmasi, which is like stuffed grape leaves. I love those. Yes. Right? My mother-in-law used to just like go out and pick the grape leaves off the summer house and then come in and make them. How cool. We used the jarred version. So I taught the boys how to make them this year. That was one of our homeschool things. And I can say that my children will not be rolling anything illegal because they weren't very good at it. <laughs> Thank God. It's going to be a long time before we have that. But it was good for the motor skills. And the little guy loved it. And we had a wonderful dinner a appetizer of in all shapes and sizes. And my mother-in-law like lost it. She was like, I can't believe she did that. I can't believe they did that. That is, I, she was so impressed. Aww. And I was like, oh my God. In like 15 years, like once you've been proud of me. Awesome. Um, <laughs> That's a mother-in-law thing. <laughs> right. And she went on and on and on because I sent her pictures of it and she was just like blown out of the water. So now what do you stuff your grape leaves with? I'm just curious. Rice. It's rice and, and then it's spices and stuff. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And then you have to put them a bed of leaves and you put them onto steam for about an hour. They take a long time to cook, but they're so worth it. And then you um, put lemon over them at the end. But like today we're making another version, all that stuffed stuff, like a dolma, anything, the leaves, the peppers, stuffed eggplants, all that. That's all uh, Ottoman. Oh, cool. So all the way, the way the Ottomans used to eat. Yeah. We're hardcore like that. And I'm fascinated by Ottoman cuisine. Yaprak is leaf. Dolma is the stuffed item. So stuffed leaves and then dolma, dolmas is what they say in Greece, but dolmas in Turkish. Cool. First time I had stuffed grape leaves was in Egypt and I instantly fell in love with it. It's so good. It's so, so good. good. There's even like once you get in the can at like Trader Joe's are so good. Yeah. I used to buy the canned ones. Yeah. After I got back, cause you can't, I couldn't find them. You could make them. I'll teach you girl. When you come visit me, I'll teach okay, you. Okay. Sounds lovely. My kids will teach oh. you. The boys will teach you how to make them. So our other big thing is, well, it's so funny because you made dough and I made dough. We make pizza dough every Sunday and we made it last night for my, my friend who's visiting and her husband. And they were like, I never would have put barbecue sauce on pizza oh, like yummy. that. And it's absolutely phenomenal. I'm like, oh, it's so good. So we make our pizza dough. It's just like three to four cups of flour, one and a half tablespoons of yeast, a cup of warm water. You don't even have to let the yeast bloom. You can, but you don't have to. And then salt and then two to five depending on how you feel, tablespoons of um, olive oil, and then just let it knead. I, I have my blender or my mixer, Tina, and Tina is really good for that. She does work <laughs> with the dough hook on. She's good. And then we put it, when we make ours, we just put the, we put barbecue sauce on it, red onions. We, cause we don't eat a lot of meat. We, sometimes we don't put anything, but we use like chickenless chicken is what it's called. <laughs> it's like soy, soy chicken. <laughs> That's what my family likes. And then um, both mozzarella and cheddar. Even my husband, who is a pizza snob, loves it. So we're down with our barbecue chickenless chicken pizza. Because <laughs> <laughs> they're classy. And then I don't know what else. My kids, they're big into chocolate chip cookies. They love a lobster roll because they're dorky little New England kids now. My little one, he will knock back a lobster roll like nobody's business. And I'm like, that is a $40 sandwich. Can you slow down? <laughs> 
But um, Kermit Zemerjimek, it's like a red lentil kofte mm. that my kids love. And I just told them today I was going to make some for them this afternoon and they are dying. That's what, for dinner. You wrap it in a leaf of romaine and you squeeze lemon juice oh, on it. Yeah, That sounds good. And then the other thing that my boys really, really love is avocado pasta. Mm-hmm. And it's so easy. And it's my favorite, like, go-to summertime meal. Um, you just boil, like, a linguine. But while the this was on Nadia Cooks, and then I kind of, like, bastardized it my own way because she had things in it my kids don't eat. So um, you just blend a couple of really ripe avocados with uh, the juice of a lemon in the blender. And then I usually saute red peppers and garlic and onion and then put that in the blender, zhuzh it all. And then right before the noodles are finished, you throw in some frozen peas and drain the noodles and the peas, put it all together and top it with fresh basil and sometimes like some fresh pepper or something. Like, and it so is it's so almost good. like an avocado pesto sauce, like similar. It is kind of, yeah, it is like, but it, but it tastes like, um, almost like a Alfredo. Oh, because it's, it's creamy. so creamy. Oh, my kids love that sounds it. Sounds yummy. Okay. I'm really hungry. I know. Me too. Okay. Because I can't. (laughs) I am so hungry. My gut is growling from all this. But yeah, that's, it's good. It's really good. And super simple. All right. And I love it. Super simple. And we'll uh, try to include the recipe if we have links to the recipes and the show notes. So if anyone wants to try and make any of these things. And tell us how you did when you leave us a nice review. Yes. And reach out on the Insta and show us your pictures of your creation. Oh my God, that would be cool. But I can't give you my my recipe for Turkish grape leaves because it's a family secret and that might get killed by the Turkish mafia. You never know. (laughs) Well, you can put you can put somebody else's. I get killed by the Turkish mafia. <laughs> That's like yeah, you know, like the Paris French bread. You can't ever. You can't ever really can't know. ever really know the recipe for that. You got to be a native to get the. Get I the have goods. a good friend of mine, and his mom is an excellent cook cook and she gave me this recipe for chess pie and I have made it so many times and it has never turned out and I swear she did that to me. She did it on purpose. I'm gonna do that when I die. I'm not teaching him everything. <laughs> taking it all yeah, with me. I keep me. teasing him because I'm like, I swear your mom left something out of that recipe so I couldn't make it like she does. <laughs> Hilarious. He's like, she wouldn't do that. And I'm like, mm, I don't know because I, I would, I would. <laughs> She would because I would. You got to have something that's your legacy, right? Like, oh, only right. she could make take it. it. To your yeah, grave. Take it to your grave. Only she could make it like that. <laughs> that's hilarious. Okay. So that wraps up our cooking episode. So, what's on deck for the next podcast? Big business, girl. We're going to, I'm a business lady. Um, we're going to be looking at kid entrepreneurs. So right? fun. I cannot spell that word. And every time I have to type it to you for something in a text, I literally have to go Google the word <laughs> and then cut and paste it. I don't know what I'm going to come up with a new thing because I cannot spell entrepreneur. It's too French for us. <laughs> it sounds too much like manure to me, but anyway. Uh, so, so we're going to be looking at, uh, we're going to be visiting Greg Howard again. Yay. We love you, Greg. I'm so excited to read this book. I've been, book. I've been book wanting to read it for, like for a months, year. Yeah. And it's uh, Middle School's a Drag, so you better work. W-E-R-K. <laughs> and it's got a little RuPaul in it. So that's a little fabulous. Um, we're going to look at that one. And Millionaires for a Month by Stacey McAnulty. Yes, we love our Stacey McAnulty too. And maybe some others. You don't know. We're first. Ooh, I, I might have happen. to slide in a Gary Paulson book because you know how I roll. I know. And I was going to look at some other ones as well. So It'll be fun. You don't know. we're full of surprises. <laughs> you can't count on us. You don't know what you're going to get. We're we got to show up. 
you gotta, you gotta show up. You gotta subscribe. Click that subscribe button. And then when you're clicking, as long as you're there, just leave us a five-star yeah, review. That'd be awesome. And we'll put you on our Franzia list. Oh yeah, for sure. Even if you leave us four star, we'll leave you on the Franzia list. You go three. I'm coming for you, girl. I am coming. <laughs> you don't know. You don't even, you don't know me. <laughs> she knows the Turkish mafia. You gotta watch out. I do. I worked for them, but anyway, <laughs> that'll be my memoirs. <laughs> So if you've liked what you've heard, please leave us a review as we mentioned and share us with your friends. We'd love you forever. Make it nicer. I'm coming. <laughs> Me and Met Met. <laughs> Met Met and I are on our way to get you. <laughs> if you want to join us twice a month for Kidlet Discussions, please subscribe to our podcast or any of the places you get your podcasts. So if you're on Spotify or Apple Podcasts, Outcast, there's a million podcast players. It, we're on there. Go find us and subscribe because then you'll just automatically get it. You don't. We don't have to remind you. You don't have to look for us. And um, also share us, yes. please. Share us with your friends. We're, we like to get passed around like that. That sounds terrible. <laughs> Take that out. <laughs> oh, my. That's what Heather was in high school. Oh. Anywho. <laughs> I was a good Catholic girl. Um, yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, right. Oh, and if you want to find out what's happening in our world and see pictures of my cat <laughs> or my pictures of the ocean, because I'm spending a lot of time there lately. And you can follow us on TWO Two Lit Mamas on Instagram, TWO Two Lit Mamas on Facebook, and of course on our website, www.twolitmamas.com. And that's us. Have a great week. Yeah, thanks for listening. Go cook. Cook with your kids. Cook with your kids. Have fun. Bye. Bye.